page 126 on your black church Bibles. Micah 5, 1 to 6. Now, daughter who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. When Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses, we will raise against it seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with a bronze blade. So he will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Kevin. I get to be one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and it's my great privilege this morning to um, speak from this uh, great prophecy from the, uh, the prophet Micah that Andrea has just read. For us, we are in this season at the beginning of the church calendar year, which we call Advent, which is a season where we prepare our hearts in, in expectation with, with longing and in hope uh, for the coming of the King. We, uh, we enter into, as it were, with the people of Israel who had received a promise from God that uh, a Messiah, an anointed one, a coming one who would be a king, who would be a shepherd, who would be a ruler, who would be a savior, would come to shepherd God's people, to lead them to, to security, to safety, who would, uh, who would be a sacrifice for their sin, an atoning sacrifice for their sin, to make them one with God, to restore relationship with God again. And so this Advent season as a church, we are um, entering into the experience or aiming to enter into the experience of those Israelites who, who had received the promise but had not yet seen its fulfillment. And we live in the in-between of Jesus' coming. We, Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. And Jesus will come again. And so we wait with expectation and with even longing and hope for his return, that he will come again to usher in a kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. We, we, uh, we take hold of the promises that the prophets of old had promised regarding this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one. That the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he will rule and reign forever and ever. And that of the increase of his government there will be no end. And so we long with, with that expectation. And this morning we're, we're, uh, we want to enter in and say that the promised one who is to come, who has come and will come again, is a king. That he's come to be a ruler. You see, um, we have this longing deep in our hearts for a king. One of the 
one of the uh, Christmas uh, music albums that I love to listen to uh, includes a song that asks these questions. And it's, it's entering in again with the people of Israel, this longing expectation for this coming king. And it asks these questions. He says, will he be a king on a throne full of power with a sword in his fist? Prophets, tell us, will there be another king like this? Full of wisdom, full of strength. The hearts of the people are his. Will there ever be another king like this? So the first thought this morning I want to talk about is, uh, is how in this prophecy of Micah, he speaks of a king who is returning, a returning king, the return of the king. That he's not just a coming king, but he's a returning king. His he's, uh, origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. That he's a king who has forever been the king. It strikes a chord deep within us of an ancient king. One who uh, ruled in the past when everything was put right. When everything, when there was a world of justice and hope and peace. When there was a, a world of joy and of provision and security. Where our enemies uh, floundered. Those who had set a, themselves up against us and our joy would, were actually uh, pushed back by this good king. And we want this good king to come and to restore all that we've lost. It's actually the plot line of most of the great stories that we tell. Most of the great stories that we can read. Most of the fairy tales, if you will, uh, of, uh, of our culture and indeed of all cultures. Is that there was this great king and when he ruled there was goodness and there was peace and security and happiness and joy. But he's not here right now. He's left. And so we're in this in-between. And we're waiting for this king to come back. To restore his kingdom. To restore all that's fallen. To lift up those things that are fallen. To restore those things that are broken. We have this great longing. So think of, uh, think of uh, Robin Hood. Think of the Lion King. Think of Beauty and the Beast. Lord of the Rings. The Return of the King, right? King Arthur. King Arthur, the once and future king. And so we've, we have this longing, this, this resonance, this, these stories, they stir our hearts, they stir our souls, as, especially as victory is, is, is claimed from the jaws of defeat, usually at the, at the cost of, of, of someone, a, a great cost, sacrificial love that has restored. So why are these stories powerful in our hearts? Why are they even persistent? Why do... Even the new stories that are written continually come back to these themes over and over again. Think of stories like Frozen. The new stories still follow this, this great plot line. Uh, earlier in the, the last century, there were two brilliant scholars at uh, Oxford University who were probably the two greatest uh, scholars of ancient English literature. Uh, their names are familiar to you and I. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis, who wrote many books, including the Chronicles of Narnia. These were uh, probably uh, the greatest uh, academia, academicians, academ- greatest scholars in the, 
in the world of ancient literature and of, the, of especially the, uh, the romantic myths and, 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 uh, and tales of, and great stories of the past. And uh, Tolkien was a committed follower of Jesus, Lewis, an atheist. And they went for a walk one night that really changed the trajectory of uh, Lewis's life. And uh, Tolkien talked to Lewis about why, why do you love these old stories? Why do, you, why do they stir your, your heart? Why are you so moved by them? That even though they may not factually be true, that is, they didn't actually happen, why, are they, why do they stir your soul? They stir your soul because they're getting at deeper realities. They're, they're exposing for you the nature of the underlying realities of our, of our cosmos, of our experience. He says, deep down, you and I know that a returning king who will slay the dragon, who will rescue the damsel in distress, will be more effective for us than our modern efforts at science and education and technology and our ethics of, can we not all just try to get along? That we need help from the outside. That we need rescue through sacrificial, self-giving love. He says, these myths resonate deep within us because we know that this material world is not all that there is. That there is an unseen reality. That we, we have this, this memory deep within us of, of a king who... When he ruled, all that was good and all was just. There was no hatred and oppression. There was no cruelty and war. There was peace and flourishing. There was wholeness and prosperity. Our hearts were full of joy. We were protected from all of our enemies. But he's gone. And we've lost that. And so in this experience in which we are now, we need this king to return. We have this memory traced deep in our hearts. We remember that there was a great king. A king from of old who is coming again. And that's the promise that Micah makes. And that's what Tolkien said to Lewis. He says, you know, the story of Jesus is the true myth. It's the true myth. Because it is the underlying reality. It's the one that actually happened in history. All of, he, it is the true myth to which all of these other myths, all of these other stories pointed and reveal and says... This is the coming king. This is the returning king. He's from old. He's ancient. He's the ancient of days, another prophet says. He's the ancient of days, and yet he's coming in the future. And so we have the return of the king to usher in a kingdom of peace and joy and goodness. But we also have here a future kingdom. Micah's prophecy says that he is a future king. If you look at verse 4, It says, He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely. This is all future tense. For then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. See, this king that's coming, the prophets say, is not not one who will restore the political fortune of Israel, of the Jews. But this is a a kingdom that will extend around the world, that will be for all peoples, all nations, all, all the families, all the people groups of the earth. And He will be their peace. 
He will be their shalom, which is this Hebrew, context, um, Hebrew concept of, of flourishing and wholeness, where everything is put back to rights, to the way it's meant to be. Shalom, wholeness, peace, prosperity, security, flourishing, joy. It's what we were made for. what we were made for. He will be their purpose. He will be their joy. He will be their peace. He will be through whom men and women can experience what they were made to be. What they were made to be. That they can live into the vision that God had for them when He made them. The secular view of the world when carried to its illogical conclusions, is really devoid of purpose. We may feel deep in our hearts that love is better than hate, but there is no basis for that. That's just been hardwired into us by the blind process of natural selection. But you and I are hardwired to seek purpose. We want to know what we were made We want to know why we exist. We need to know why we're here. And Micah would say, and the Scripture says, that if we're created by someone, then we're created for someone. That outside of having this King as our King, we will never have shalom. That outside of this kingdom, we're like a fish that's been caught and is out on dry ground, gasping for air, flopping around, because it's out of its element. A fish that's been taken out of its element is, is not free. It's, it's desperate, and it's outside of its created. You put it in water, and it's powerful and beautiful and quick and agile and able to do so much. It's in the element for which it's created. But outside of a relationship with this good king. You and I are like a fish out of water, flopping around, trying to figure out, trying to survive. But the, the scriptures talk of a coming kingdom where everything will be put right. And you know what? When the scriptures talk about this coming kingdom, that when Jesus returns he, it, and restores, he may, it says he's going to make all things new. He's going to restore all that was all that's been harmed, and it, and we'll experience the fullness for which we've been made. And it talks about that. It talks about that the trees of the forest will sing for joy. I love that picture because you know trees trees are magnificent and beautiful right now, right? You know you can a, a, a huge redwood out in on the west coast or a grand oak tree here or they're beautiful they're 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 glorious they're magnificent they're powerful they're strong they're ancient and yet the scripture says they're not all that they they will be that in the restored creation that when Jesus comes again and and fixes all that's been wrong that when rids this world of injustice and the curse of our sin that the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Will clap their hands. Will be dancing. 
if that's what's going to happen to trees, what's going to happen to you and I? Can you imagine the fullness of joy? Of knowing what we're made for? Of being, of, of, of fully living into the vision of the King who's made us. It's beautiful. And so a couple of questions of application this morning. The first, who is your King? Who is your King? He is a king, the coming one. And, uh, and, and Matthew, one of Jesus' friends, quotes this prophecy from Micah and says, this one who was born in Bethlehem, which is the hometown of King David, the greatest king of Israel that Israel ever had. This coming king, this coming ruler, is none other than Jesus, born in Bethlehem, born in the manger at Bethlehem. He is a king, but is he your king? Are you bowing the knee to him? In order for us to bow the knee to him, we need to know what kind of a king he is. Verse 4, Micah says that he will stand and shepherd his people. He'll be a, he'll be, he's a shepherd king. He's a shepherd king. What does that mean? Well, a shepherd is in charge, right? A, shepherd, a, 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 flock, of, a, a flock of sheep don't get a, a vote as to where they're going. And what's what's happening at the at the moment? The shepherd the shepherd's in charge. The shepherd's the boss. The shepherd is the you know the only vote that counts. You know, Flopsy and Mopsy aren't aren't you know really even able to voice their opinion of what is best for the flock. So a shepherd's in charge, but it's a beautiful picture because the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus says. He says, "I'm the good shepherd." And I lay down my life for the sheep. I will protect my sheep from all harm. Anything that would come against my flock, anything that would come against my people, I, I will stand up and I will rise up. And I will conquer. And I will protect them. And I'm going to lead them into, paths, into to, to green pastures. I'm going to lead them beside still waters. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, do, provide everything that they need in order for them to experience flourishing and wholeness in peace so that they can lie down and rest. So I will come against any, any enemy and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I will risk my life. In fact, I would give my life for my sheep. And so seeing Jesus as king isn't so much as saying, well, you know what? Um, God's really, really big and I'm really, really small. So I guess, I guess he's the king. I guess I better bend, bend my knee to him before he crushes me. Seeing Jesus as king means seeing him as a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Where, where it actually molds our will to say, well, why wouldn't I trust this king? If he would do this for me, why wouldn't I trust him? If he lays down his life for me, why wouldn't I, I lay down my life for him? Why wouldn't I gladly follow this shepherd king not against my will but actually for my good not half-heartedly not reluctantly but actually wholeheartedly knowing that his ways even though i may not understand them actually are meant to lead me into the fullness of joy and peace 
And so we need to see him as not only the exalted and majestic and glorious ruling and reigning king, monarch, all-powerful sovereign, but as the shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And when we see him, you know, his self-giving love, his sacrificial love, his love that says, though I do not deserve this, I'm going to the cross for them, and I'm going to take the judgment due their sin on them, and I'm going to pay the price, and I'm going to bring them back, and I will provide for all of their needs. I'm laying down my life. I'm putting them ahead of me. Why would we not follow Him when we see that He's good? He's good. As one of the kids asked Mr. Beaver about Aslan, he's a lion, king of the jungle, king of the beasts. He's a lion, but is he safe? And the, the beaver, Mr. Beaver says, oh, no one said anything about safe. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. So we can trust him. We can trust him. And so we see, we need to see not only his greatness and his glorification, his power and authority, his might and his wisdom, we need to see his goodness. We need to know that he's good, that he's for us, that he's not against us. Um, if you've been a parent, um, you likely have had at least one kid who, uh, in order to obey, needs to know why. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the chuckles say, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm happy to obey, as long, but I just need to know why. Why do you want me to do this? Tell me why. And here's the reality. And, and no offense if you're a child and, and uh, are like one of those who, who say, well, I need to know why. Sometimes when you're six, you don't have the insight of a 40-year-old. And you don't quite see as much of the picture as the 40-year-old who is for you, who wants nothing but your good. Right? And so for us to say to God, even to have the audacity to say to God, the king, I'll obey you when it makes sense. I'll obey you when I feel like it. Could you tell me why? Could you tell me what you're doing? When you're calling me to this, I'll do it so long as I figure, I, as long as I can understand the beginning from the end, and, I, and as long as I fully understand it, then, yeah, then we're good. Then I'll follow you. It's, it's actually a greater disparity, the six-year-old to the 40-year-old, us to God. Us saying, you know, I need to understand it. I need to, I need to know why is really saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep being the authority in my life. I'll obey it when, when it makes sense to me. I know you say this. I know this is what you say about money and possessions. I know this is what you say about sexuality. I, I know this is what you say about how we should view ourselves. But but I'll, I'll, I'll follow the things that make sense to me. I'll believe the things that I can understand, that, that I want to believe in the Scripture. You, 
remain on the throne of our lives, if that's our mentality. See him as the shepherd king who lays down his life for you, whose thoughts towards you outnumber the sand on the seashore, and whose thoughts to you are only for your good, who are only meant to lead you into he himself is our peace, our flourishing, our goodness, our purpose. So who's your king? Secondly, what kingdom are you living for? What kingdom are you living for? You see, all of us have these um, these competing stories in our lives. These storylines that are calling for our allegiance, our loyalty, and our love. The stories that tell us this is what the good life is. And this is how you'll find the good life. This is how you'll find happiness. You'll finally be happy if... This is who you should be in order to fit in. See, we're constantly under the pressure that the, that the ideas of our culture would be, dominate our thinking. That the values of our culture would determine our priorities. That, the, that the, uh, you know, the preferences of our culture would become the principles by which we live. So what kingdom are you living for? What kingdom are you dreaming in? What language are you dreaming in? Is it the story of devotion to God, of sacrificial love for God and neighbors? Is it the story of faith and hope, of love and sacrifice, of compassion and generosity, of service and righteousness, of joy and of peace, of community and selflessness? Are you dreaming of advancing up the corporate ladder, of increasing wealth, of multiplying comforts, the next vacation, the next toy, the next luxury? What are you dreaming of? Are you living for the reality of the coming kingdom of Jesus, even though it's not the most visible kingdom right now? The call of Micah The call of Christmas, the call of the story of Jesus, is that the story of the gospel, that the way up is the way down, that to be first you become last, that to find yourself you lose yourself, that to find true wealth we give ourselves away. Let the story of the gospel capture your heart and imagination. And to think on these things, to think on these We live in such a distracted, hyper-busy culture. And always on. We've always got a screen to look at. We've always got um, noise in our, in our, in our lives, something whispering in our, in our hearts and in our lives, telling us what the good life is. Telling us, you'll finally be happy. You'll finally find fulfillment. You'll finally find your purpose. When? That itch will finally be scratched if you would just... Fill in the blank. The most powerful thing that you could do, that you and I can do, is to quiet ourselves. To quiet ourselves. And to think on these things. To reflect on these things. To think about the coming kingdom. Let the values of the kingdom determine our priorities. Let the ideas of the kingdom of Jesus dominate our thinking. Let the preferences of the kingdom become the principles by which we live.
reflection, meditation, deep thought, quietness, prayer, time in the scripture. The most countercultural things you could do in the age of the iPhone. Who's your king? What kingdom are you living for? Can you give up on worry? Can you give up on worry? Why do you worry? Are you on the throne? You don't have to rule the world. Ultimately, worry is saying, I know how the universe should work best. And I'm kind of thinking it might not happen that way. You don't have to be on the throne. There's a good king on the throne. Who knows what's best? Who knows what's best? Our sermon series uh, after Christmas in January, February, it's going to be called Peace, Living, Finding Peace in Times of Anxiety. We're going to be exploring things like mental health and anxiety. We're going to be exploring issues of, um, of worry. And what does the scripture say about finding true peace? So I hope you join us for that. Jesus is the king and he's on the throne you and I don't have to be and then lastly can you raise your expectations can you raise your expectations will you raise your expectations if Jesus is the king on the throne to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given and one day all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever, that should kill fatalism in us. That should kill fatalism in us. The, the fatalism that says, well, whatever will be, will be. Whatever happens will happen. It's going to happen anyway. Are there things that you have given up on? Are there people that you have given up on, even maybe entire communities that you have given up on? And say, this is, it's never going to change. What, it, what will be, will be. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. I think that's right. <laughs> I'm not a linguist. But if Jesus is the king, we can, our expectations ought to rise. He's a king. He can do anything. You know what the story of Christmas is? The story of Christmas is an angel coming to Mary and says, I know you're a virgin, but you're pregnant. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Don't insult God with low expectations. John Newton wrote, You're coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For His grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. You're coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For His grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Don't insult God with low expectations for what He can do in your life. Don't insult God by, by giving up 
that, that, the, that the realities that surround us will, can change and will change. Don't insult God by failing to pray and asking. Not token requests, but specific, big, hard, impossible requests. Do you have low expectations of the future of what God can do in your life? Do you have low thoughts about what God can do through our church? He's a king, I tell you. He's a king with all authority, with all power, and he's good. He's good. He's proven his goodness. He's laid down his life for his sheep. He's a shepherd. He's a king. So treat him like a king. Would you pray with me? So, Father in heaven, we praise your great name today for giving us a promise. A promise of a kingdom that, and an inheritance in this kingdom that will never perish or spoil or fade away, but that will just keep on growing. That one day, Lord, we will see Jesus and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. The promise, Jesus, that you made that you will come again and that your kingdom will be ushered in in its fullness. That you will reign forever and ever. And that we can be included in this kingdom. Not as subjects to a master, but as sons and daughters of the king. So, Father, I pray that today you would give us a vision of Jesus as the King. Not Jesus as our homeboy, not Jesus as someone that we would dabble with and pay lip service to, but Jesus as the King who is glorious and mighty and strong, but who is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And, Father, we want to live for your kingdom. We want to exemplify and live in light of the coming kingdom. We want to pull the values of the kingdom that's to come into the present. And so make us into a people who will fight for justice, who, who stand against all oppression and racism, sexism, poverty, ignorance of who you are, and show you and your goodness to this world. Would you help us give up on a worry and to walk in trust? Some of us, Lord, are walking through deep waters. Some of us have diagnosis in us or in loved ones, and we don't know what you're doing. And so while I may have made light of a six-year-old questioning a parent, Lord, our, our experience is often very real, and we're, we are filled with worry and fear. Because we don't know what's going to happen. And so we need a vision of you, Jesus, as the King. The one who will cause all things to work together for our good. The one who is doing a thousand or even a million things that we don't quite see or understand. So give us peace. Would you, Jesus, be our peace? Especially in times, in trials times of anxiety, times of worry, 
times of uncertainty. And Father, we pray that you would raise our expectations. That we would pray and work and live with an expectation that you will do exceedingly, abundantly more than all that we could ask or even imagine. Because you're the king and you're good. Father, last week, a number of us wrote some names on a candle. It's up on the stage here. With a, with a desire, Lord, that we would be light, ambassadors of the King. That, Jesus, your light would shine in the darkness. And that our friends and our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers, would experience the hope and the joy, the peace and the grace of the Lord Jesus this Advent season. And so we pray in faith, asking, Lord, for you to reach into each of those hearts. We do not give up. We do not lose heart. Because you're the king. And you can do more than we ask or imagine. And so Father we're asking. That each one of them. Would taste how great you are. And how good you are. Father we bring big requests to you. Big requests. We've seen you answer so many prayers in the past. Lord, would you even speak to each of our hearts right now? What's the big thing that you're daring us to ask? What's the big thing you're daring us to ask? Speak that into our hearts, Lord. And now give us faith to present this request to you as the King. Father, I pray that our church would would have the privilege of baptizing a hundred people in the next year. That seems impossible, but Lord, you can do it. Pour out your spirit so that it would happen. I pray for new hunger and thirst among all of us for you. I pray for the unleashing of generosity and compassion and service in our community. Lord, you're asking us. What are you calling us to dare to ask? We don't want to insult you with low expectations. We want to renounce fatalism. We want to relax. We want to renounce lack of faith and trust in you. So, Father, fill us with your Spirit, so that we would be ambassadors of a good King telling this world that the Ancient of Days is coming again and that His kingdom is full of joy and peace and hope. We present ourselves to You, Father, as Your servant. Do with us as You want. You're the King and You're good. We pray this in the name of Jesus.